Hey, welcome to Gen X Voice. Nobody asked us, so let's get our voices heard. Written off years ago as the Slacker generation, we actually have brought a lot to the world behind the scenes. Now we need to bridge two opposing generations and make sure non-Karen voices are heard. I'm your host, Trish The Dish, and I'm going to interview Gen Xers being rad and doing cool shit in the world. You can follow me at Gen X Voice on Instagram, Twitter, and Spotify. Check out other podcasts, videos, and blogs at genxvoice.com. Even though the focus of this platform will be to celebrate Generation X, the goal is to interview as many people as possible from lots of generations, backgrounds, and experiences. Let's unpack some of our differences and attempt to discover what truly ties us all together. With so much division and pain in the world today, instead of shutting people down for their age or other features outside of their control, let's listen to these voices and discover common ground so we can come together and create a better world for all. I don't want to be an army one. This episode's guest is someone I have known since the mid-2000s or aughts, as we cheesebag older folks like to say, you know, like our great-grandparents used to refer to the first decade of the 1900s when we were kids. Anastasia is another guest on the show who just turned 40 this year in 2020. We shifted a little away from discussing generational differences or generation gaps. Instead, we'll listen to how it was for her being an immigrant to the United States from the Ukraine in her adolescence and her tales of traveling and being an artist today. As you'll discover in hearing Anastasia's story, her childhood experiences are a little different from those of us who were kids in the 80s outside of the Ukraine. So we'll let you decide if you think she's Gen X, Millennial, or Xennial. Let me know on any of my social media sites that are your preference. I'll be honest, I'd just like to hear from you and what generation you're from and how you like the show. I'm also always open to suggestions on topics you'd like to see unpacked here. And if some of you may have noticed, I've started putting introductions about who my guest is and what to expect into the show itself, which was a suggestion from one of our listeners. So thank you. It means a lot to me that you're listening and giving feedback. This show is for you, no matter what generation you're from. Let's see what experiences Anastasia brings to the table that are different, but how we are all pretty similar. Get your passport and paintbrushes ready and enjoy the show. Hi, Anastasia. Can you hear me well? I can hear you well. Can you hear me well? Yeah, I think so. Hopefully uh, the recording of my voice will be good enough through my laptop speakers. Yeah, it sounds good so far. And I can always, you know, do stuff in post-production. So no big deal. Yeah. Can you please um, edit all the stupid things I say? Only keep the smart things. Well, first of all, <laughs> my only goal is to make you a rad and amazing human. So, but you won't say anything stupid. You're the best. How are you doing, man? You've been um, you've been really taking advantage of the sort of COVID life, and instead of traveling overseas like you always do during the summer, or not the summer, but you, when you have for downtime, you've been really adventuring around Illinois, huh? I don't know if I, if I would call that adventuring, <laughs> but I'm just trying to not uh, become stagnant. You know, I'm trying. Um, I mean, it's good for your mental health to get out, to get away. And even if you get away three hours away versus, you know, to the other side of the world, um, 
if I don't get away, I just, I go crazy, I think. <laughs> so I have to be doing something somewhere. Um, so yeah, we've traveled just around Illinois a little bit, you know, to local state parks and we did a little bit of camping in July and went up to Upper Peninsula. That's not right. Illinois, you know, right, Michigan. Went up, yeah, in Michigan and then nearby in Wisconsin to the shore of Lake Superior. And it was beautiful. You know, it's like, it feels like a different world. It feels like I went far away instead of just driving for seven, eight hours. So that was, it was better than expected. And honestly, if it wasn't for the pandemic, I probably would have never made the time to see this area because I'm always like traveling far and going to the mountains and going to the other side of the world. So it does force you to slow down and see what's nearby and enjoy mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, I would never guess that that would be a destination for you to go to Wisconsin or Michigan or anything like that. So um, anything can be a destination. <laughs> huh? Oh, anything can be a destination. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. What was your favorite so far that you've traveled around in, uh, in, that, in just that little area? The coast of Lake Superior is stunning, especially areas that are like Apostle Islands and pictured rocks. There's a lot of those, they call them sea caves. Um, it's sandstone that has been kind of carved out by water and just just gorgeous, you know, and then seeing it, seeing it all from the kayak was also pretty cool. Um, I would say that's my favorite, but it also feels a little bit more, it feels, it reminds me of like Russia up there because there's really? a lot of, yeah, a lot of birch trees, a lot of aspens, nature itself is different, full of birches and aspens. Yeah. No, I would never have guessed that. Cause that's such a thing we, we take for granted out here in the West. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. So it was really surprising. I'm like, wow, I feel like my travels through Russia when I was a kid, you know, cause I'm from Ukraine. So, but we did a lot of, we did spend a lot of summers in Russia. So it reminded me of that in a way. So I also appreciated that even the smell, you know how smell can bring back memories? Yeah. So that was really cool. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing. So do you think you'll go back there sometime? Yeah. Sometime, yeah, because there's more to see. Yeah, I would love to. And also spend a little bit more time in Wisconsin on the Lake Superior shore. I really liked it up there. It's definitely something I would like to return to. So yeah, who knew? <laughs> who knew? That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, you... You've traveled all over the world and, you know, to be in this COVID world where you're kind of, man, you had a crazy experience where you were in your most recent epic adventure was going down to Argentina and Chile, right? Yeah. We went to Patagonia. Patagonia. Yeah. And you almost got trapped. Um, yeah. And I don't want to make it sound like we got trapped badly because my experience was nothing compared to the experiences of travelers that really got stranded for days and days and weeks in other countries when... Because of the um, flight banning. Yeah, when the pandemic hit and border closures and all that other stuff. Um, but we got trapped for, for a couple of days. You know, we, um, it was just, it was hectic because you just don't know what's coming you don't know what was going to happen next because everything was unfolding so quickly and um, things kept changing day by day and there was no information provided. Um, so 
on my 40th birthday, <laughs> which was March 11th, <laughs> you know, uh, the World Health Organization declared uh, this COVID virus a pandemic. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Happy birthday. Yeah, no and, kidding. Welcome to your 40s. Yeah, exactly. And age. we were, um, at the time, we were on a W track in Patagonia. So we had no phone, no internet. Of course, I knew it was coming. I knew it was getting bad, but I didn't know it was going to unravel so quickly. Um, so we were in a W check and incredible, beautiful nature. And a few days later, we got off our hike um, and we were due to, that was in Chile, and we were due to go back to Argentina and make our way home. So we were going to fly to Buenos Aires and then from Buenos Aires fly home. Well, turns out, meanwhile, Argentina and home in Chicago, closed. just for the listeners, really quickly. And I live in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. So, turns out, while we were on the W check, Argentina crossed their borders to Europeans and Americans. Um, and Chile didn't know anything about it because we checked in with the bus station, we checked in with the government, you know, are we going to be okay traveling back to Argentina? <laughs> Turns out they don't communicate really well with Argentina. They're not really friends. I didn't know that. Um, and they told us, yeah, it's going to be fine. Just give them the address, you know. So, of course, we get on the bus and we approach the borders and we go through the Chilean border control side. Um, it was fine. They let us out of the country. And then we have to go through the Argentinian uh, passport check. And they didn't let us in. They're like, okay, all the Germans off the bus, all the Americans off the bus. And at the time, you know, we got stuck. It's kind of like uh, we got stuck between a rock and a hard place because had we been out of America for more than two weeks, they would have let us back into Argentina. But we were out of America for 13 days. So our passport stamp, um, first of all, we already had a passport stamp from Argentina because we were there a few days prior. And I'm like, I was already in your country. How can you not let me back in? They're like, right. yeah, not my problem. <laughs> and one day they're like, no, it's 13, yep, not 12. Yep. <laughs> That's how it is. And so they're like, go back to Chile. And I'm like, what do I do? I have a flight. They're like, I don't know. Call Not your government. Problem. Not no. our problem, you know. <laughs> and that's how it is. I mean, this is when you have border closures, you know, it becomes not their problem. Like you are to fend for yourself and you have to find your own way and everything unraveled so quickly, you know. So we ended up buying a flight. We bought a different flight. Uh, we had to wait for a few days because the town we were in is a really small town. It doesn't have flights every day. So we bought a flight to Santiago. So I'm like... If we're not going to be able to get home, at least um, we're going to be in Santiago because mm -hmm. it's closer to the embassy. It's closer to, you know, a larger population where we right. can have services and things like that. Little did we know that American embassy wasn't helping people that much at all either. Right. <laughs> so they have evacuated a lot of people um, from embassies all around the world, but they're really slow to bring people home, bring Americans home. So mm -hmm. that was what a lot of people, you know got stuck with later. And that's why a lot of um, travelers all over the world were stranded because there was just no way to get home. So we were lucky. We only were stranded for two extra days. Man, that is so crazy. Have you ever dealt with a border closure before in your whole life like that? No, it was my first time. And wow. 
I've had so many. (laughs) Huh? I said, what a birthday present. Yeah. Oh my God. What a birthday present. A gift that keeps on giving. Um, (laughs) (laughs) The memories. It was my first time. Well, I take that back. I have a different story where I wasn't allowed into a country, but it was due to my poor knowledge. Um, Before I became an American citizen, I was traveling on a document. Um, It's a document when you have a green card, but you're not an American citizen. So the document is called Permission to Reenter the United States. Um, So as a green card holder, yeah, it's not a passport, but it looks like a passport, except for it's white, or I don't know what it is now, but back in the early 2000s, it was white collar, uh, permission to reenter the United States. So you travel with it and you use it as a passport. And back then there was no European Union. I was on a train from Germany to Prague and turns out my visa, because I had to get a visa as a non-American citizen, my visa didn't cover Prague because Prague is Eastern Europe, and I didn't know it. So I was on the train to Prague, and the border police comes on the train, and they're like, you don't have a visa to enter. And I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? You don't have a visa. Sorry, we're going to have to get off the train. So they did. They denied me entry at first, um, but it was due to my you know, it was my fault. It wasn't due to a border closure. Um, the guy happened to speak Russian and I spoke Russian to him. He didn't speak English so well, but he did speak Russian really well. And when we switched to Russian language, I was able to bribe him and pay him. <laughs> no pay way. him. I think it was about 50, 60 bucks to let me into Prague. So, so yeah. <laughs> and to make a story even juicier, um, I didn't have any cash on me. Um, I should have kept some, some Deutschmarks, but I spent all the Deutschmarks. I was going to go to the ATM and get, um, you know, check uh, money, check right. currency. And uh, I just didn't have, happen to have any dollars on me, which was a bad decision. You should always travel with some cash. Yes. So um, the guy who was sitting across from me, um, who happened to be an American from Chicago, Whoa. let me borrow $50 to, to pay the bribe. <laughs> so you didn't, so you're bribing him without any money. And this guy who happens guy to be from him? the same city as you is yeah, like, Don't well, no, I wasn't living in Chicago at the time. Oh, you weren't. Guess how I got to know Chicago. Whoa. So this is, I came to visit this guy later. This is not your husband now. No, no, no. It's a different person. No, oh, it was okay. I yeah, was gonna it was, be like the year it was two thousand one. Yeah, oh. yeah. So wow. yeah, I just, <laughs> that I was never a fun. Knew that you have so many great stories. That <laughs> I'm so glad to have you on my podcast because we can really dig into some of these. Wow. So you just fell in love with Chicago when you when you came to visit this guy? Yeah, you know, I did. I I fell in love with Chicago. I was ready to leave Atlanta, which mm-hmm. is where I was living at the time. I didn't feel like it was a place for me. My mom and dad still live there and I still come back to visit and I still mm-hmm. love visiting, but I just don't feel like it's a place for me to live. You know, like you don't feel like it's your city. Right. And Chicago felt like it was my city. Like I could, I could hang out here and make home here for a while. And that's what made me decide to, to come here and settle here 
permanently. That is amazing. So your family came from the Ukraine to Atlanta in the 90s, right? Yeah. And that was because of the civil unrest that was happening in your country, right? Uh, yeah, to, to put it mildly, it was because of civil unrest, but it was a lot of reasons. Um, there's no opportunity for stability in Ukraine and Russia, as you may know. It's just, it's harder to make a living. Life is just rougher. And a lot of people, if they have an opportunity to immigrate to a different country, they do. And when they came to the States, it was right after the Soviet Union fell apart. Mm-hmm. And uncertainty was crazy high. You just didn't know what was going to happen. There was right. no course that could be positive, you know, at that time for Ukraine. And um, yeah, there's just a lot of uncertainties. And it was more, you know, my parents always say, we came here for you. We came here for you. And it's like, wow, you guys put a lot of this on me. You came here for yourself as well, you know? (laughs) Right. But parents always say that to younger generation. We did this for you. (laughs) I'm like, think about yourselves too. You know, you're benefiting yourselves. And of course, it's much harder to move to a different country when you're in your 40s and 50s versus when you're in your teens, you right. adapt much slower. So in a way, of course, they did come here for me because they sacrificed much more, you know, friendships, right. employment that they had there, status. Um, you know, my mother was a professor, music professor in, in a conservatory. And here it's, it's a whole different scene for her. Um, so, yeah, they did. I mean, I'm not invalidating what they said, but mm-hmm. I just sometimes I have to remind them that, you know, they're doing okay here too. <laughs> so. <laughs> so, so you went to Chicago and I can't believe I've never asked you this, but you, how in the world did you become this amazing artist? Like, how did you fall into art? Like what, what was that about? What were you doing before you moved to Chicago and, and then what inspired you to pursue an art career? Honestly, I've always thought of myself as an artist. I have never, I never became an artist. I did become an artist professionally versus just being an artist because I liked to create. But ever since I was little, I've always thought of myself as an artist. So it wasn't a big change for me. It's just kind of realizing what I think I am and bringing it to reality um, I've been drawing and painting since I was like two. Mm-hmm. So it was a great way for my mom to keep me busy. She's like, oh, I'm going to give her a pencil and some markers and some paints and see if she's, she gets excited about it. And when I did take interest in it, she's like, yes, awesome. You know, she's there for hours. She's keeping herself busy for, for hours. And I don't have to really, you know, do anything. I can just cook and continue <laughs> to you know, do whatever I do. So for her, it was like a win-win. <laughs> Well, you're not but an only child, are you? I am. Oh, that's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, yeah, that's definitely the best babysitter if you don't have like a TV or you don't want your kid to sit in front of a TV for hours on end. 
Exactly. Um, so how did you fall into the style that you, you, cause you have a really unique style that you do with your art. It's not just like a basic, um, basic lines that you can, you can find there. They're actually a lot more impressionistic. How did you fall into that style? You know, just like a lot of things, it's more about trial and error. You paint and you see what fits you and you kind of see what comes out and you do more of that and less of the other. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I, um, I've always liked really vivid colors, really high contrast. And in the beginning, it was kind of me gathering inspiration from all kinds of different works of art and just kind of trying to find my way and trying to see what, um, you know, what makes my work stand out. Like if I did this, would it be more interesting? Or if I applied this, would it be more vivid and, and would it have more interesting, you know, breakdown of value, for instance. And then later, um, once I settled into my style, I just don't think about it anymore. I may, I may think about the subject more than I think about my style, you know. So now I'm kind of, I paint the way I paint and it's hard for me to change that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for me to force myself to paint differently just because now it became a part of me. And of course, styles always evolve. Like mm-hmm. the way my paintings look today versus how they looked 10 years ago, it's probably different, but every they definitely artist- are. Yeah. And your subject matter changed. You had, you know, at least some of the early work I have of yours are like actual beings, but now you, you've shifted more into um, environmental painting and nature. Yeah, I started off with painting more figurative pieces with humans, and I was really inspired by like surrealism, and it was a little bit darker in the beginning. And then I moved away from humans, and I started painting travel destinations because it went along really well with my traveling lifestyle. And um, I would take so many photos out when I'm out in different countries or you know see different cityscapes. Um, that they became main subject of my works. And of course, then Chicago creeped in and made its way into my paintings because, you know, Chicago offers a lot of beautiful angles mm-hmm. and there's so many buildings from different eras, um, so many ways to portray the city in art. Um, so a lot of Chicago themed pieces came out. Um, and then I continued to paint travel inspired paintings, but I seem to be traveling more into nature destinations as I get older. I still appreciate being in cities, but nature and hiking are such a big part of my life now that I feel like I can't exclude that from my paintings. Mm -hmm. Um, So I have a much larger percentage of my works that are nature themed now versus, you know, in my early and late 20s, for example. Wow. Yeah. That's interesting how your art has sort of changed and morphed alongside you and, and your experience. How did you get into the, the art, um, the art fair scene? Cause you're the most successful artist that I know in terms of being able to have art be your paycheck and your career, but, but you chose the art fair route. And, and so how did that happen? Well, first of all, I just don't think you know that many full-time artists because if you have 
If you were to hang out in artist circles like I do, there are so many artists that do pretty well, um, you know, with making a living off of selling their art. Like the, the starving artist myth doesn't apply to everybody. There's plenty of artists that do really well, even now, even during pandemic. Um, but of course, not everybody is. So people are in all kinds of different situations. Um, but with art festivals, I remember clearly a memory um, of walking down through an art festival with my dad. It was such an American phenomenon. We didn't have those back in Ukraine. So walking through an art festival with my dad when I was maybe 14 years old in Atlanta, and I'm like, wow, this looks so cool. And this is exactly what I want to do. I'm like, this is kind of like art exhibit and camping at the same time. <laughs> yes, it is. And this is just amazing. I want to be like these people. <laughs> wow. And this image was always in my head. You know, so when I got older and when I started to give this art thing a try as far as making business out of it, I did start exhibiting in galleries, but I was always drawn to art festivals. I always thought it was just this cool thing. Like you put on this event you know, you, from nothing in two days. And you have this amazing art exhibit with all these different people that have created these things that they sell, be it art, sculpture, jewelry, you know, um, 2D, 3D. And they always fascinated me. So, yeah, so I started doing art festivals. They're just fun. They're, they're kind of like they align with, with my personality. Because I like to meet people. I like to talk to people in person. You know, yeah. when you sell through a gallery, there's a third party involved. But I do enjoy talking with people directly. And I miss that terribly right now during, you know, during coronavirus when everything, everything is canceled. <laughs> right. Because you, you for, for art, art festival season, when does that usually um, begin and when does it end and where does it really take you? It goes from... April until October for me, usually, as far as outdoor season goes. Um, there's some shows that happen in Florida. I don't do the Florida circuit. Some of my artist friends do, but I just choose not to. So, yeah, and it takes me around, you know, as far as Atlanta and Memphis and everything in between. So Midwest and South, I would say. Mm-hmm. Have you had any desire to ever join art festivals in other parts of the country, like the West or the East Coast? Not particularly, but maybe someday. It just involves a much longer trip. So maybe in the future, mm-hmm. on occasion, I will. But, you know, I just plan my year uh, depending on the art festivals that I really want to do that are closer. Mm-hmm. And then I fill the gaps with the ones that maybe I can try just to see how they they are so right. every year the calendar and the planning is different um because it's a lot of it's like a balancing act you know art festivals are not um you don't just decide to do one and you do it you have to apply to it and get accepted into it so oh really like a, yeah yeah it's a gamble it's always a gamble so you never know until you get accepted so even if you were at an art festival one year that doesn't guarantee that you'll be there at the next year absolutely not yeah they a lot of times they want fresh um selection of artists you know so it's different for 
for the crowd. So the crowd sees different artists every year. So some art art festivals are much more competitive than others. Um, so yeah, like the politics of art festivals is a whole different animal. <laughs> so that's a whole conversation for a different time. But um, well, that's so neat. I'm so glad that I actually asked you these questions because I've never known any of this stuff about you. Because when we hang out, we're going out into the wilderness. And, and adventuring and talking about adventures. So thanks for sharing all that. So Anastasia, where can people find your artwork on the internet? Oh, on, to, on the internet, you can find my work at AnastasiaMac.com. Mac with a K, A-N-A-S-T-A-S-I-A-M-A-K.com. That's my website. <laughs> awesome. And there they can purchase artwork. And then is there a link to your social media there? Or do you want to plug your social media site too? Oh, it's it's really simple. On Instagram, it's amacart. And on Facebook, it's Anastasia Mac Art. And there is a link on my website to those as well. And you also teach some classes through that website. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I'm actually um, filming additional workshops um, this year, now that I have more time to do that. And I teach classes in person from time to time. When I, during my down season, when I don't do art festivals, I teach workshops in my studio. Of course, not this year. Um, again, thanks pandemic. But on a normal year, I do about three, four different workshops in my studio each year. And what's, what's your favorite workshop that you've come up with so far? Because that is really a neat idea to do on the side is to teach other people kind of, is it more about your technique or developing their own technique? I can't really say I have a favorite. Um, people always amaze me, you know, so a lot of it has been nature lately, obviously, because I've been painting more nature on my own as well. Um, and it has to be always something that people can have a result from just painting for three, four hours. You know, a lot of paintings takes, take longer than, than that. Like if you're painting architecture, it would take you several days to, to come out with a decent painting. At least when you're painting in my style, it's not a fast painting process. It's a little bit slower. Um, with nature, you can get results a little bit faster just because the forms are more organic. You don't have to measure as much. Um, so we've had a lot of really awesome workshops even um, earlier this year in 2020 before before March. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing that um, perspective of being an art in the art festival world and, and also about you know, just your experience with the, the pandemic and your travels at this, at this time, we're going to shoot over to our rapid fire questions. Um, are you ready for these? All right. Here we go. go for it. Here we go. What's your favorite memory from childhood? Um, I would say camping summer camp, um, Kids summer camp, and when I was a teenager, also went into summer camp. Just, just crazy times, fun, <laughs> nature, swimming, you know, all those things. And, yeah. and that was um, summer camp in the United States. No, in Ukraine. Oh, awesome, awesome. And then, what's your favorite '80s band or song? <laughs> uh, you know, you have to filter this um, via what came to Ukraine from America. Great. That's exactly why um, I want to ask you this. Yeah. So I would say the Pet Shop Boys. 
Oh, yes, that's awesome. <laughs> and what's your favorite 80s film? I don't have a single favorite 80s film. Again, not all the films made it to Ukraine from the States. And a lot of 80s films made it to us later. Like there was about five to seven year delay with what made it over to Ukraine. Um, and we had a lot of Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger films. So all, all the Arnold films were, were good. Eddie Murphy was big, you know, so like the Beverly Hills Cobb. That was funny. Any Eddie Murphy films, films were just were just awesome for us. Um, I'm trying to think what else. Back to the Future made it over, but a lot of others didn't make it over. Like any romance, you know, high school comedies, they didn't really translate. And I'm thinking the reason for that is that all these films were selected by dudes because all these like guys that knew, like there is no you know, licensing, like you're not paying royalties to these films. Like you're bootlegging all the movies. So all these guys that knew all the gearheads that knew how to bootleg bootleg movies were responsible for what Ukrainian population saw uh, in the late eighties and early nineties, as far as what came from the States later uh, the landscape opened a little bit wider. So it was easy to get other films like, Pretty Woman and The Bodyguard, you know, in the 90s. But the 80s films, I think, were all selected by dudes. So we had like, we had like Bruce Lee karate films. We had Schwarzenegger films, uh, and then we had comedies. We didn't have too many, you know, too much so romance. No John Hughes films. No Breakfast, um, Breakfast nope. Club or nope. Ferris Bueller. It wouldn't translate anyway because the way schools are in the states, it's just a little different. It's a different culture. No football movies or baseball. Ukrainians don't understand American football and baseball, so none of that. Um, so, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, I enjoyed watching what I watched and thinking that it was current. It was current to me. So <laughs> so how about college? Did you go to college? Yeah. And why did you go to college? Um, it wasn't an option not to. Hmm. Okay. Remember, my parents, we came here for you. How dare yeah, you not yeah. to go? It wasn't an option. You have to go to university. And you know what else? They didn't have the money to pay for my education. You get scholarships. Like, it was not a choice not to, you know. And I I did get my college paid for by um, scholarships that, you know, because I kept my grades up until, I think, until the last year. I slipped last year. <laughs> so then I had to pay out of pocket. <laughs> but, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't an option for me not to go to college. There's no way. <laughs> So as a teen, so we're talking about being in the United States now, what was your favorite music as a, as a teen in America? Who, um, trying to remember, well, in America, I mean, I wasn't very creative with my music taste in the beginning, just like Nirvana, you know, and all other grunge that came about in 94, 95. Um, that's, yeah, um. I like The Cure. I know you're a fan of The Cure, but I did listen to The Cure as well in my early yeah. teens. Well, I love Nirvana too. I mean, yeah. the grunge scene, I was I was ripe for that. Yeah. So if you had the ability to stand in front of someone from a different generation, either older or younger, what would be one bit of advice that you would give them either to get through the dark times or just life ad- advice in general? Well, I think... Um, as this year has showed us, and 
this is something that I try to remind myself also is that the quality of your life is defined by how much uncertainty you can handle in any given moment. And it's something to ponder upon. But to me, it, it, I come back to it frequently, just trying to remind myself about that because the world is always going to go crazy. The world is always going to be changing rapidly. You know, this year we have the pandemic. Who knows what it's going to be five years from now. Um, but you have to find that center and that balance within yourself and not be too afraid of uncertainty. But also I think we have to get better at listening to one another. You know, we're so polarized and it's just becoming worse and worse and it's us versus them. It's just us versus them. And it's becoming really easy to find um, data and proof online of the point of view that you support, you know? So you have a point of view and you're like, yeah, here's a proof. Here's another proof. Here's another proof. But we have to keep, keep remembering to maybe open our eyes a little bit wider and try to really listen to the other side, you know, and trying to just judgment free, just try to understand where they're coming from. And I don't mean, um, listen to the other side about, you know, really bad or immoral topics. Like, you know, I've always thought racism and murder were bad, but maybe I should listen to the other side. I don't mean it like that. You know, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, listen to the other side about how we get to a solution of a certain problem. There's many ways to reach a solution, you know, so um, just try to challenge your beliefs and try to not be in this echo chamber that social media forces us into, you know, try to have a wider perspective about things. Wow. Thank you, Anastasia. That's, I think that's great advice. So Anastasia, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Absolutely. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for listening. And if you think this is worth listening to, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. Be kind to each other, listen to each other, and let's stop being separated by our differences. I don't want to be an army.